Before we uh, dive into God's Word today, I just wanted to take a moment of personal privilege and uh, say something that's just been on my heart um, over this last couple of days. Uh, it's just simply this. I am, I am grateful for you. Uh, I have asked our church, for those of you who haven't been, uh, been around, I've asked our church to do something pretty unusual over these couple of weeks. Uh, where we bring in folks who have been uh, worshiping in two very different patterns, two very different cultural expressions, and we've put them all in the same room together, and we're learning from each other, and we're experiencing different kinds of things than we normally do. And that's not an easy thing to do. I, I recognize that. It's, it's felt kind of like this for me. It's like, it's like saying to my best friend from high school and my best friend from college, who I really enjoyed hanging out with individually, to say, hey, how about all three of us get together, and it's going to be a great time. And then realizing, oh, maybe they don't all like the same sort of thing, and trying to uh, figure out from there. I remember uh, last week when, uh, when Michael prompted us to, to raise our hands, I remember uh, sort, of, sort of cringing inside, not because I was afraid of what uh, someone might say, but because I knew it was going to make some of you uncomfortable. I knew that, because it's not something that you're used to in your, your pattern of worship. And, and then today, I, I found myself uh, sort, of, sort of bracing a little bit, because to have the choir do something beautiful like that, and where we just sort of sit and let someone else lead, that's not in the pattern of worship that we might see uh, over in the other room. It's just a very different experience, and some of you might not have even known what to do with that. And that's okay. And that's what we're trying to sort of experience together. It's what happens when you take different people from different backgrounds and cultures and walks of life and thrust them all together into one family. It's what happens when we do church. And frankly, I think that the fact that y'all all still showed up today is a, is a pretty powerful expression of, uh, of love. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It, it may be the, the biggest demonstration of what we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 13, of, of love, because what we're seeing here is a definition of love that is seeking the, the good of the other before one's self. And when you set back and let somebody else have their way and let them experience something that's familiar to them, even if it's uncomfortable for you, then you're expressing love. And in fact, the, the church is supposed to be about this all the time, not just in how we do corporate worship together, but in how we do life together. It's what Jesus said would be the mark of his people. So I just want, before we dive into 1 Corinthians 13, I just want you to hear what Jesus said in John chapter 13, and let that frame our thoughts as we practice love together in this way for this season and as we think about love that we'll be studying together in 1 Corinthians 13, this is what Jesus said was at stake in how we care and show respect and kindness to one another. Jesus said this, John chapter 13, verse 34, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's a privilege to get to be the pastor of a church that's willing to love this kind of a way. And I think more than that, 
It is an opportunity to demonstrate to a world desperate to find love that it really is real, that it could be that a people would set aside their own personal preferences for the sake of others because of love. And so with that introduction, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. You'll find the, the text on your, uh, your listening guide and also on the screen. I would just like to ask, would, would you all stand with me as we read together from, uh, from God's Word? Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. Now let me remind you that the context for what we just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's not a wedding, despite the fact that that's probably where you've heard these words most. The context for these words getting written down and then passed on to us is a church, real people trying to figure out how to do real life, but they had got it pretty messed up. This was a church that was deeply divided and, and conflicted, and the Apostle Paul who writes this to them is trying to help them navigate a better way. And in fact, in the context of 1 Corinthians, this letter, it comes almost as, a, as an interruption as he has been giving them instructions about how to handle their corporate worship gathering, how it is that they were supposed to relate to one another when they got together for worship, and whose gifts were most important, and whose gifts were supposed to get used, and who was not supposed to do uh, such and such things. This was the context of the instructions, and in the middle of that, if you'll remember, he stops them and says, now, I'm going to show you a better way. And then he writes what we know of his 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We looked at the, the beginning of this, and it talks about the, the prominence of love in the first few verses. And then last week, we talked about the, the perfection of love, these attributes of patience and kindness and uh, not self-centered. These, these descriptions are actions that give substance to this word love. But today, as we look at this last part of this section, we see the, 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 the subject turning a bit. And instead of talking about love's prominence or love's perfection, now we hear the Apostle Paul writing about love's permanence. It's permanence. That's what this section is all about. Love, real love, the kind of God-oriented or the love that comes from God and others-oriented love is a love that lasts. And so that's what we're going to, uh, to walk through for these next few minutes together. He starts out by saying, love lasts even when the other gifts don't. That's verses 8 and 9. You remember the words. He says, but 
prophecies, they will come to an end. Languages, they will cease. Knowledge, it will come to an end. What he's doing here is he's, he's picking up words that he's already addressed throughout the course of the letter. He's talked about prophecies and who should be desiring to prophesy. And the word languages here is probably translated tongues in some other uh, translations that you have, because that's the word that he's been uh, talking about. These people had fought over who was going to get to express their prayer and uh, who was going to, how many people could do it in a particular worship service gathering. And so, however we come to understand this word tongues, what Paul is doing here is saying, hey, you remember all those things that you were fighting about? All of those things, ultimately, they just go away. In the end, there's a time coming where there's just no more need for what these people had been expressing as languages or tongues. Probably here, what Paul's referring to when he uses the word tongues or languages is this kind of inner longing in us that comes when we're, we, we need to say something to God, but we're not even sure what that ought to be. And well, Paul will write in another place that God's Spirit helps us to pray in these inner longings. But the point is that someday that which we long for will receive. And so we won't have to long for it anymore. It's like kids right about now starting to get ready for Christmas. They're getting their Christmas list together and starting to think about what they want. Kids, you should start doing that. If you haven't already, start getting your Christmas list ready because your parents and grandparents are, are watching. And you, we, we wait for it, we long for it, and then when Christmas comes, you don't need your Christmas list anymore. Why? Because you got the gift. Well, so what Paul is saying is, look, this longing that is going to be expressed in this prayer, right now it has a place. It matters. But in the end, there won't be any need for that longing because the gift will be given. The, the second little expression here, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. This one strikes a little more close to home because when he talks about prophecies, he's not talking here about uh, telling the future, uh, forthtelling. He's talking about foretelling. That is, he is declaring that this is the word of God. That's what the prophets would do in the Old Testament. And the prophecies that he's talking about in the context of Corinth is when someone would get up and say, here's what God's word says. Kind of like what I'm doing right now. This is kind of like a prophecy. I'm saying, here's what God's word says. But did you notice what is said about prophecies or preaching. Prophecies or preaching will come to an end. Some of you are thinking, hopefully sooner rather than later, because I want to get to lunch today. But I'm not done yet. We're still going. We haven't reached the end. But what this means is that this job that I've got has a time limit on it. Not just today, because you're going to get hungry and want to go home, but there's going to come a time where you won't need someone like me to hold up God's word and say, here's, here's what God is saying. And you know why? Because we look forward to a day when we gather together like this and the word of God himself steps up on the stage. Jesus himself comes and delivers the message. And believe me, I can't wait for that day. I love what I get to do, but he'll do it much better than I ever could. And so, even this gift, as important as it is, the, the gift of preaching and teaching, it 
comes to an end. But you know what doesn't? Love. Love lasts. The gift of love that we express to one another as we are learning to do life together in this new community of faith, that expression, it carries on. Because even in heaven, you're going to have to rub shoulders with people who are different than you. People who think differently than you and have different shape and form and desires and preferences than you. Even there, you're going to have to figure out how to love others as you've loved yourself. Love lasts. And all these other gifts that are so important will ultimately come to an end. Think about it this way. What, what Paul is kind of pointing here to is a, a reality that we can, we can think about in a different context. It's, it's hard to describe to someone who is about to get married what it's like to actually be married, right? And it's even harder for someone who, who is about to get married to understand what marriage is like after you've been doing it for 50 years, now, I think we have some folks in this room who have been doing marriage for 50 or more years. Would you raise your hand if you've been married for 50 or more years? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely, we should encourage and applaud that. Because what you folks know who've already made it through 50 years of marriage is different than what I know. After 15 years of marriage, I think it's 15, 16. <laughs> so we're just going to keep on going and pretend that that didn't happen. Can we edit that out from the, uh, the video? <laughs> Happy birthday, babe. Happy birthday. How does that? So <laughs> what you should know if you just got married or you're newly married is never in public forget how long you've been married. Just, uh, <laughs> just a, a gift that was free for, uh, for today. You can't fully understand what it's going to look like until you get there. And yet, here's the great thing, guys. What, what Paul is suggesting, what God is saying and speaking to us right now, is that when we love one another, when you exhibit selflessness and patience and kindness and all those things that we talked about last week, when you do that, you are getting a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. That's the glimpse. It's the taste. It's like the trailer before the movie comes out that you can't wait to see. When we love one another, and the way it's described here, heaven is breaking into earth, and we get to experience that. This is the great, the great mystery and the great gift of this love that God gives his people, his church, when they come together. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, what's the greatest thing here? It's love. It's not these other gifts. It's not prophecy or, or, or all these other things. What, what really is the most important thing in the life of a family of faith is love for one another. Because when a church loves, heaven breaks in to earth. And that's why Jesus would say, 
by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, love lasts. It lasts. And love lasts even when the new breaks in. Look at, um, at verse 10. When the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. The Apostle Paul here grabs some different metaphors that he's, he's using to communicate that what's going to come next is not like what we're experiencing right now. You, you see, the, all of this thing, this whole history, all of humanity is, is moving towards a, a conclusion, a, a moment where, where, where God ends what's happening and breaks in with something new. And the Apostle Paul says, look, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we look forward to that moment when the new breaks in. Right now, we get a taste of God's love given to us in Jesus through his mercy and his forgiveness, and we're reorienting all of our reality and our understanding around what God has revealed in Jesus. But someday, someday, God's going to finish what he started. And when the new comes, it's not going to be sort of a, an emergence out of the old. It's going to be a brand new thing that makes all the rest obsolete. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, anybody here got their milk from a milkman today? Yeah, I didn't think so. You know why? Because we have a refrigerator. The innovation of the refrigerator made the milkman unnecessary. We didn't need that anymore. Anybody have a calculator in your pocket? Yes, you do, probably. You also have a day timer. I know you don't know what that is. Don't worry about it. Some of them do. You also have a day timer, a video camera, a still camera, um, well, all sorts of other things. Say, uh, the, the, the mail system. We have all of those things right here that prior to that, we didn't. When the new comes, those old things become obsolete. There's coming a moment when God breaks into our history, and when that new thing comes, all the rest becomes obsolete. And so the, the question that, that God's Word confronts us with is, are we building our lives on that which is going to last when the new thing breaks in, or are we building our lives on things that are just going to be irrelevant? You don't want to build a career as a milkman when the refrigerators are coming to market. And you don't want to be a human being who has ignored the signs of what God is doing through his son Jesus Christ when the new thing breaks in. And if you've built your life Apart from Jesus, when the new thing breaks in, you don't have a life. That's what's at stake for us in saying we want to be a people who live lives shaped by the life of Jesus. We're saying that what God has revealed in Jesus is pointing to what he's going to do at the end. 
And so we want to shape everything about our lives, our relationships, our values, how we understand who we are in the world. We want to shape everything around what God has revealed in Jesus so that we can be ready when the new breaks in. And we don't have to be embarrassed or surprised or left out when God's new thing begins. You see, Jesus has already begun to reshape this. When when Jesus came, he made everything prior to him obsolete. He made understanding God as a, a distant being obsolete because God has inhabited this world. He made understanding God as an angry, vengeful, petty, a deity that might be out to get us. He made that view obsolete by showing on the cross that God's love and his justice could meet. He made obsolete the idea that that God would, would just sort of spin things off and then walk away. Because in Jesus, we see the fulfillment of God's plan from the beginning of time and then pointing towards the moment when God would finish what he began. What I'm saying is that as we understand Jesus as revealed in God's word, it makes obsolete all the other options. And you need to know that more and more in our culture, people are advocating other options. They're advocating thinking about God as one who is distant and not, and not concerned about what's happening. They're advocating, thinking about God as a wrathful deity that must be, uh, must be propitiated or, or his wrath must be turned aside by whatever means we can. They're advocating that God simply has, has put this thing out there and there's no real plan or, or rhyme to it. And so uh, we've got to sort of do the best that we can with what we've got. These ideas are obsolete ideas because of what Jesus has revealed And so we must be careful to build on the new idea that in Jesus, God has revealed who he is. He's a God of love and of mercy and of justice and of righteousness. And he's a God who has been intimately working every aspect of human relationship for his ends and purposes. And then someday, Jesus himself will come back to reign and to rule over all who have given themselves in love to him. We must be careful not to build on obsolete ideas because when the new comes, all of those things will be revealed to be the empty vessels that they are. And so Paul says, we're to start now. When I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put those things away. It's a a strong word in Greek, that word put away. It could be translated abolished or abandoned. It's a strong decision to say no more. And it's that kind of resoluteness that will be required of us to navigate as followers of Jesus in a world that is increasingly reaching backwards to pre-Christian ideas. We must be resolutely committed 
to the truth that God has revealed himself in Jesus. And his word is a trustworthy foundation for us. And out of that conviction, we love one another. And we make decisions about how to operate in this world. Love lasts when the new comes. But one final way that we see love lasting, and it is that love lasts when we do come face to face with God. This is verse 12. For now, we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Karl Barth, who was a German theologian, would write about this passage that he thinks that what Paul was referring to here when he says, uh, then we will see face to face, was a reference to how God said he interacted with Moses. You don't have to turn there, but if you turn to Numbers chapter 12, verse 8, you're going to see an interesting little description of how God says he's speaking to Moses. He says this, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. And here it is. This is God saying how he relates to Moses. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Now, in your Bible, there might be a little letter, a little note next to what is translated directly in mine, because the Hebrew expression behind that, it says, now I speak with him mouth to mouth, mouth to mouth. What might be happening as we come across this in 1 Corinthians 13 is that what Paul is seeing under the guidance of God's Spirit is that when that end comes and all of us will stand individually face-to-face with God, do you know how close God is to you? He's not way up there in some sort of throne behind the choir over here. He's right here. When the end comes, you will stand face-to-face with this eternal God. It'll be as, as close as a kiss between a husband and a wife. It is that kind of intimacy that you will experience with God, face-to-face with Him. And likely, your first reaction is like mine, which is to think, oh, I don't know about that. I need my personal space, and I, I like my wife, but I don't even want her to get too close sometimes. I just need, I need some space. And the thought of God that close is a little uncomfortable for me. But here's the deal. What we are cultivating in this life is a kind of trust relationship with this eternal God such that we would be ready when we face him. 
to be able to face him face to face and it be like a new husband and wife just announced that before a crowd in their wedding day. And an announcement comes, you may kiss your bride. Now, it might be odd to think about your relationship with God that way, but the point is not the physical aspect of it, but the intimate aspect of it. God desires to have that kind of a moment with you. And he is inviting you even now to learn how to trust him and to walk with him and to know him such that that day when you are face to face, you know you're finally home. That moment of love is a lasting love that can begin now as you learn to trust him and to walk in faith, and to build your life on Jesus' life. The eternal one wants to know you that way. But I would fail if I didn't offer you this warning. While it is true that you will stand face to face with God, and it, it should be, and it can be a moment of great intimacy, if you fail to love him and to cultivate a relationship of trust with him, if you fail to obey him as your king and your maker, if you fail to to develop a dependence on him that is vital and life-giving, you will still face him face to face. But that face-to-face moment will not be a moment of intimacy and of closeness and of coming home. It will be the moment where all of the rage and the hurt and the offense that you have piled up against him comes spewing out and you will be face to face with the eternal one and you will shake your fist at him and it will be like two uh, two teenagers ready to go to battle against each other. Except the guy on the other side, he's going to win. Either you will cultivate a love and trust relationship with him now. Or you will face him face to face, one on one. And he's going to win that fight. What we do now determines the outcome of that moment then. And so no, no, that this is a merciful and a good God who has sent his own son, Jesus, so that you could be restored to him, that there will be no more hostility between you, and that you could learn to cultivate a life of faith and dependence right now so that you can be ready for that face-to-face encounter then. Let's pray. Eternal one, these thoughts are not our thoughts. We would rather 
We would rather you stay distant. We'd rather not face you face to face. And so we can't help but say thank you for telling us the truth about what's coming so that we can at least wrestle honestly with it now. So I just ask that that right now, would you help our hearts to wrestle with the truth of our relationship with you? If there are any of us who are clinging to hostility, to rebellion, to, to not trusting you, then today, would you show yourself to be good and merciful and kind as you promised Would you bring us to repentance, to putting aside our hostility and trusting in what you've done for us in Jesus? Would you do that today? And for all of us, would you help us to examine our hearts and our lives? Would you help us to see whether or not we're building for something that's going to last or if it's just going to be blown away in the wind. Thank you that you would desire us, call to us, draw us to yourself. And would you do that right now? We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.